0: Cradleline Network. I am the law, and this is the eleventh episode of Big Mac One. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Eli, and it's the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the Meg for Volume 1, issues 14 and 15, cover dates November and December 1991. This episode, we're finishing up 91. And we're doing it strong with finales of Al's Baby, Red Razors, and Armitage while starting new adventures for Midden Face McNulty. And if you were long you find the comics we are covering today in Judge Dread, the complete case files sixteen, the Heavy Metal Dread collection, and the Al's baby, or sorry, the Heavy Metal Dread and Al's baby collection, and the Judge Dread magazine number two eighty seven. How you doing this time, Eli? I'm doing great. Nice, appreciate you coming out as we finish our finish up our first full year of the magazine. Oh man, very what? exciting. Time flies. Yeah, it's going fast just because we're doing these two monthly issues per um per episode, I think. So we go, go through the year pretty quick. Through one raptor. Uh, script about Alan Grant, Artner about Dean Ormston, letter about Tom Frame. All right. So, last time we saw Judge Dredd showing down with Raptar, who we've identified as this kind of mashup between Venom, Predator, and the alien Xenomorph in one deadly package. Oh, he's bad.
1: <laughs> as, as I see him more, I start giving him his own personality. So, I'm starting to like, hey, maybe, you know, I see the influences, but I'm it's like – Becoming its own thing in my head now.
0: Maybe, yeah. I guess now that he's out of the shadows a little bit more, he is able to get a little bit more of his own personality to him as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um. He's and the monster are fighting toe-to-toe. It's not going well, but dread is crafty. He tries to knock the beast off a ledge, but gets caught by its tail, it gets pulled off the side himself as well he grabs he grabs onto a pipe onto a pipe and both of them are hanging over a big abyss like sort of just over the big city you know city endless uh, chasm here dread grabs his boot knife you know the 90s knife yes. he's got in his boot and starts yeah definitely it's you know it's where it is not where it goes and um mm-hmm. starts sawing off at the tendril that the that uh, reptar is attached to him with but when it does the monster just falls onto a passing hover cab and disappears. Heavily injured, Dredd only avoids falling to his death by stabbing his knife through his own hand to keep himself stuck to the side of the building, which is pretty metal, to be honest. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, that's a, the same thing. That's a dope move, you know. <laughs> if, you can, if you can stomach it. Yeah, well, you, you know, last resort move, of course. You don't want to do that every day, you know. Right um
1: even even when the other judge comes to help he's like do your job what are you worried about me dangling here by my knife wound for
0: yeah i'm fine i'm hanging in there oh (laughs) (laughs) soon another judge arrives the big-haired side judge karen with a y and this is her first appearance in um in um in comics she finds Dred's dead partner from last episode and then the judge himself. And like you said, he says to go after the monster. He's fine. But her psychic powers confirm that the hover car has crashed. And he's just kind of... Dis- and Reptar has kind of disappeared into the city. There's no way to catch him. And as she sort of figures this out, Dredd apparently has uh, just passed out, hanging on the side of this wall here. Later on the news, after an ad... After the news starts with ad for a cereal that makes you puke, we... um <laughs> We... See that We see a very panic-inducing news report about these killings with theories that it's an insane chainsaw vampire, a mutant spider, or an alien blood-sucking menace. And what's kind of funny to me, Eli, is that, like... Of these possibilities, they are all possibilities that we've seen in the pages of the Judge Dread magazine.
1: <laughs> so they're not even stretching, really. Within they the last just... few
0: weeks, you know, like <laughs> we'll have a chainsaw-wielding vampire kind of thing later this episode. <laughs> and we had a giant mutant spider like maybe two episodes ago. And this thing seems <laughs> to be drinking blood and is a menace. So it seems to just be what – that's what this is, you know?
1: <laughs> right.
0: In the hospitals, doctor works on, doctors work on Dred's battered body, um, but as they do, he flatlines, and it seems like his blood is poisoned. The doctors work fast, and but Dred's somewhere else, somewhere very blue, in a dreamscape where half a dozen raptors prepare to attack him. It's very creepy. So we've got this delirious dread imagining himself fighting raptars on a dream space as doctors swap out his blood. It seems to work as once they do that in his fantasy, dread starts to fight back. He's like, I'm Judge Dredd. I won't die. <laughs> and with those words on his lip, he kind of comes back. Back awake. He comes up and, yeah, so he's back awake and it seems the city's on the hunt for this monster. Judges are doing house-to-house searches through the Tom Mohan block. And as always, when judges are doing searches for a specific thing, they're also arresting people for general things as they go. You know, <laughs> while, we're, while we're here, you know, we're looking for this monster. But I'm certainly willing to arrest you for having sugar or whatever else, you know. <laughs> right. Oh. Better uphold, hold the law. Yeah, come on. Um, the, uh, the newscaster, Cheever Mahoon, is covering all this and gets arrested and taken down for questioning, but I think he's quickly cleared. It is a coincidence that it seems like people die right after he talks to him, for sure. Um, <laughs> the search of Tom Mohan reveals, like, tw- uh, 17 dead bodies sort of hanging, like, sort of dead inside apartments, and then 20 more were in that locker that exploded last episode. So it's definitely, this guy's, this monster's eating a lot of brains, killing a lot of people for sure. And um, it seems like they, the doctor's diagnosed from Dredd's wounds that it seems like it's a silica-based life form as opposed to a carbon-based life form like you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it, it contaminated Dread with a fear-inducing toxin, which it does to most of its enemies. Um, but luckily, it didn't affect Dread that much because dread has got no fear. That's how it goes. Right. And because it's an alien, it's hard for side judge Karen to pin it down. She theorizes that it might be eating the brains to get the tasty chemicals inside your adrenochrome and pituitary hormones and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that means they can set a trap for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dred wants in on this trap action against doctor's orders. Meanwhile, some sewer techs are heading underground to check a blockage, complaining about people flushing all kinds of weird stuff. And in the sewers, they find not someone who's flushed like some paper towels instead of just toilet paper or something, but a whole bunch of dead bodies. <laughs> Much worse, much worse, and then things go from worse to far, far worse when they turn around and they see Raptor waiting for them. Oh, geez, those guys are dead. We see some blood, sp- some blood splatter, but we know that will soon settle this guy's hash because next time on Judge Dredd, the trap.
1: I did want to add. I really liked him um, after Judge uh, Dread's uh, um, interaction with. Uh, the monster, he has these cool battle scars on his face, on his, yeah. Legs, right, on his mouth.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, no, he's he's definitely in that mode. I feel like this is very anime kind of mode, actually, mm-hmm. where <laughs> someone has their first big fight, and so it means that the rest of this of this uh, storyline, they've got like bandages and cuts and stuff mm-hmm. like that all mm-hmm. over them, right? You know? And a vendetta, right? Well, of cool. yeah, definitely a vendetta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah along those lines for sure no man all right i'm i admit i was skeptical about raptar but i'm i'm ready to see this big fight you know i don't know
1: Yeah. yeah absolutely and i do think it's interesting that they made him a different type of life form and gave him some fear toxin yeah i think that is like you know uh yeah i think it's one of those things where like uh if you're copying one thing then that's obvious but if you're copying 10 things and, you know, putting them all to, you know, it's not Venom or Predator because I have the Venom and Predator plus (laughs) not carbon-based, also Fear Toxin, also, you know, this tail, all, you know, just...
0: Yeah, it's the, the, uh, it's the uh it's the matrix it's it's the matrix method or something like that where it's just <laughs> like where you where you take so many different influences that you end up creating some new thing because that's just kind of right. like there's there there's too many flavors to identify any one so it becomes its own flavor, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's fair I think actually. I don't know. Let's see where this goes. I think we should be finishing this story up I think next I think in the new year of 1992, I believe. Like I don't. I think we'll get maybe one more episode of this storyline. But nice. speak of storylines that are about to end, Eli. Oh, we're getting to a couple. Oh no. Let's talk about story two. Al's baby. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Carlos Cascaira, letting robot marry. It says maybe Mary Hart there. I think. So after working to get the ten million bucks together, they have for ransom. It's time for this big meet to settle the 2014 mob war in Chi-Town. A bunch of cars roll in, and in one of them is Al Bastardi, hitman pregnant with his own son, Um, captured Don Ratso Veruca, Al's wife Velma, and Al's right-hand man Sal. And I feel like I might have accidentally called Velma Vera last episode or something like that, which I think is just sort of me confusing my lady V names because there's <laughs> also a Velma and Red Razors and that's just too... There's too many overlaps, Eli. I can't keep it straight.
1: <laughs> it's fair. I'm sure we'll find a way to forgive you.
0: Listen, you know, I don't know. I've, I've made worse um, ma- malpropations um, for the record. So I've said weirder stuff. But anyway, um, Al is begetting, is beginning to get some regular pain, which means that because he is, in fact, very pregnant, his contractions are starting. Which, like... I know it's good for the jokes and stuff like that, but I just don't – I don't think if a dude is pregnant, like the way that they're talking about it, he'd get contractions or his water would break just because he doesn't have like the uterus muscles that would be contracting, I guess. But I don't know. That's fair. Yeah, it's uh – that's there's some science in there. Like I just I just want to point that out so that now once I've said that we can just go f- um whole hog with all these sort of traditional uh uh, uh pregnancy clichés, you know. So listen, it's been mentioned, but let's keep going. <laughs> Sal checks the cash as Ratso sort of heads back to his side. And it seems like the hostage um, exchange is going well. But when he gets to his own guys, Don Ratso grabs one of his goons machine guns and starts shooting. And a gunfight breaks out. And in the midst of it all, Al's water breaks. Oh, no, he's going to have this baby soon. (laughs) Val, Sal, and Al all pile, or sorry, uh, uh, Vel, Sal, and Al all pile into a car and speed off, driving right through Ratzo's goons, because that's the most direct route to the hospital. Um, Ratso gives chase, and as he does, he's like hanging out the side of his own car, like shooting a machine gun after him and stuff like that. But as in the course of the chase, um, Ratso kind of, uh, like a uh, uh, Sal shoots out Ratzo's tire and his car goes flying, and so Ratzo ends up crashing like sort of into the water of a fountain. They push the ho- they rush to the hospital and get al into an operating room, and everything seems pretty well until uh two nurses talk about what's going on too close to the uh form of evil gangster mutt McCluskey al's nemesis. he snaps out of his coma caused by being what I- um immersed in an outhouse for a couple <laughs> hours or whatever um and Uh, He breaks out of his coma, gets out of his hospital bed, and heads off to get revenge.
1: That's very advantageous. I mean, that's bold. Just jump right out of a coma for revenge. Like, that's not going to, no pants. Make sure you walk well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I figure (laughs) he knows that, like, if Al's getting a a cesarean right now, he's never going to be weaker and easier mm. to take out than he will at this I, right at this point you know that's a good point so <laughs> al's getting an epidural as a bunch of med students look on the operation he's not enjoying that part meanwhile mccluskey's pulling a fire axe off the wall heading to find al and i love actually just the art that mascara's um, got for McCluskey here. He's got all these little, like, red dots all over his mm-hmm. skin. Right. That just make him look really, like, sick and gross. You know, because he's... Right. We said last time he was suffering from, like, 11 known and 17 unknown diseases from being immersed mm-hmm. in the in the outhouse for so long. So it makes sense right. to be super disgusting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> yeah. They definitely capture that very well. Definitely. So uh, the surgery begins as Mutt stalks his prey. He ha- axes open the uh, locked door of the operating room. And as the baby becomes visible, a voice ca- calls out, It's McCluskey! Throwing the axe at Al! Mm-hmm. It just misses his head. And while Sal is there, to pretty awesomely pull a gun from under his hospital gown. Um, Mutt just sort of pushes past him and knocks him out. And that's just not, even though he shoots Mutt, that's not enough to stop him. is getting punched in the face by Velma. The hitman grabs some surgical tools and prepares to stab Al in the face. But Velma instead sneaks up behind him and knocks him upside the head with an oxygen tank. at a girl! And with these problems handled, it's easy enough to... Finish the operation, and soon little Al is alive and breathing. Is alive and breathing his first breaths in his father's arms. Oh, it's real nice. Oh Sal starts taking pictures, and as the doctors take some pics too. It seems like little Al was born with teeth, which is weird. But generally, it's great times. <laughs> <laughs> we see a birth announcement gets sent out as later Don Luigi meets his grandson for the first time. And, oh, this is just real nice, Eli. I really like this. of just like this <laughs> really happy ending of um, like the Don meeting his grandson and being like, yeah, this kid's great. And my son-in-law Al's great, too. Plus <laughs> the war ends because they can use those really creepy pictures of all the adult baby stuff they did with Don Razzo last episode to blackmail him so that you'll end the war and stuff it's pretty great um sal takes one last family photo and um as we see like uh you know fa- uh husband wife child uh son and grandfather all together it's got the caption that al is one mean mother mm-hmm we cut back to mega city one to finish up the story as the robot teacher we saw right at the beginning of it uh, says this wasn't the end for Al there'll be many more stories and adventures of Al and Al's baby but those are for another day and the students are like oh yeah like I my my mom told me about that she said it was the first time they ever found a good use for a man oh (laughs) (laughs) etc But yeah, so that's it for this story, Eli. The end of Al's Baby. Man, I'm going to miss it. But yeah, I think
1: it, it worked really well.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Just this like sort of... I really liked its mix of humor and violence in the same place, you know? Right. And, uh, motherhood and parenting. Yeah. Definitely a strong connection there. Absolutely. And I should say that this is not the end for Al's Baby. We'll get Al's Baby Part 2 titled uh, Blood on the Bib towards the end of 1992, so sometime in our next year of coverage, basically. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, good to um, revisit these ones. Yeah, and speaking of stories reaching at their ends, Eli, <laughs> let's continue on with Story 3, Red Razors. <laughs> Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Steve Yole, uh, coloring robot Philip Lynch, letter robot Any Parkhouse. Have we had coloring robots before and I just didn't notice? I think, I think this story has had, a col- ha, ha, has had a colorer. They don't have okay. them but by default, I think. Got it. We're, mm-hmm. in a, we're in a weird part with these British comics, Eli, I should tell you. <laughs> well,
1: I definitely know this art style is like very heavy on the inks, uh, which mm-hmm. I really like. And I know that takes a certain amount of skill as well. So oh, yeah. them having a whole different person on the coloring, I, it makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know, for many years and until very recently in British comics, all like pretty much all all British comics were were were, were black and white, and you'd mm. have maybe one or two, co- like a couple color pages in the course of an issue of a, of, a, of a comic. But even then, like it'd be very rare to have a full color comic, basically. Oh, makes sense. And because of that, and because it was mostly a black and white and an occasional thing, there isn't really a big tradition of of of, of colorists in British comics at this point in like the early 90s, it feels like. Um, over in 2000 AD, for instance, um, they they don't have a specific credit for uh, colorists yet. They usually have like, like the default kind of credit card that ends up just listing both both artist and inker co- and slash colorist sort of – like all those jobs have sort of been usually one-man jobs and they're slowly figuring out ways to like have them be listed separately on their cards and stuff just because they aren't used to it in British comics. It's different than American comics where I feel like the artist, inker, colorist is such a – those three jobs are so set and so like, like defined between different people and stuff. I don't know. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's just sort of a thing to keep an eye out for, I guess. But um right. on the Sov Block 1 border, the Spooky-Doo gang, we're getting names for these characters now, who are freelance enforcers for the Sov Block 2 chief judge, and they're heading out in their mystery machine to recover the body of Elvis and maybe help our buddy Razors. It seems the Block 1-ers are about to sacrifice Razors to Poshpaws, who was a tv dinosaur apparently a tv dinosaur that's now been made into a real dinosaur i guess (laughs) um velma gets her ak and her hover cycle and prepares to head out meanwhile razors we see razors fully being tied to a to a sacrifice style cake cake, a steak i should say even as he's threatening to arrest everybody um some traditional east meg judges show up and say posh paws is coming everybody runs and meanwhile the 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 spooky gang including shabby spooky Mm. hannah and freddie and we learned that the (laughs) Avelma characters named barbara uh split up on their sweet hover cycles as they approach uh, block one a shadow falls over razors it's posh paws (laughs) and i gotta tell you eli when they first said that there was a char- that this was a character based on a children's cartoon and it was a big T-Rex, my first thought Ooh. was that it was Barney, right? Like, I, right. I, feel, I, feel, I feel like your mind would go to a similar place. But yes. actually, Barney won't exist until 1992. So we were – this is pre-Barney and actually a reference to a character that was called Posh Paws on a British TV show called Multicolored Swap Shop where there was just (laughs) a stuffed toy dinosaur that that was called Posh Paws that just sort of appeared on the show. It wasn't even like a puppet or anything. It was just kind of a stuffed animal that was like on the set basically is my understanding. That's really interesting. So yeah. Even looking at this piece, I'm like – I was like thinking Barney. I was like, oh, yeah. looks like barney it's not quite like you know i feel like if it was really going to be barney it either be more recognizably purple or sing mm-hmm. the song you know
1: right but that's, <laughs> that's why more like the shape of the head and stuff
0: yeah da- i mean it's definitely still got a car- very cartoony t-rex head and stuff mm. yeah but yeah, yeah i just thought that, yeah uh, uh,
1: as the pages go on though it like becomes it's really only that very first page that i'm like oh
0: barney and then every other page is like oh no this is
1: just you know a uh, roundish T Rex. Yeah, this is yeah,
0: so- this is just one of these w- one of these British things where we end up lo- like. In the course of, of, these, of these podcasts, I feel like I've picked up so many weird, random, like, UK pop culture facts, basically, mm-hmm. of just, like, little references that are, that are jokes in these comics to, like, ch- references to, children, to children's shows or other kind of mm-hmm. weird, like, uh, advertisements, sports programs, things like that. It's, it's ridiculous. That's um, But so Razor manages to free himself as the spooky gang rolls in, shooting people in the face and hitting them with chains like motorcycle gangsters. You darn kids! (laughs) (laughs) Razor dodges the T-Rex as Chief Judge Nutmeg attacks Velma with a spray of blood. No, Velma! She was my favorite. Mine too. Uh, Razor... uh, Razors takes this stake that he's been tied to and jams it right through the top of Poshpaw's head, killing him, which is crazy. Oh. Very God right. of War <laughs> style kill there, for sure. Right. And I was just starting to like that dinosaur. Yeah. It's tough, oh, well. man. Yeah, not enough dinos in these comics. I'm a big, mm-hmm. I'm a big dino mm-hmm. fan myself. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> But as, but, but then, uh, Nutmeg is going hunting for razors. In, in sub block two, the chief is, uh, palling around with his girlfriends in the back of a, uh, of a hover ship. And one of the girlfriends is like, ah, oh, this guy is, is pretty gross. But, um, in the <laughs> Capitol building, the judges are getting tear gassed and killed by those dang OAP KGB guys. Oh, no. They take the chief hostage when he lands and explain they're going to use their pocket nuke to destroy the entire city. Although it's sad because one of the OAP KGB guys can't get up to the chief judge's uh, uh, penthouse because his wheelchair can't negotiate no. the spiral spit staircase, which is messed up. All right.
1: right. Just a moment of sadness.
0: Yeah. Where's the Sub Block with Disabilities Act going on yes. here? You know, got to get a lift in there, you jerks. Razor and Nutmeg are playing cat and mouse around the body of Poshpaws, eventually crashing through a wall into a pool of water where they fight and then Nutmeg holds Razor's under the water trying to drown him, even as Judge Ed, the horse, just kind of looks around and is like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. I'd like to maybe play some handball when I get home. You know, I don't know. It's going to be a good afternoon. <laughs> So the OAP KGB, they hand out their, their ceremonial Stalin mustaches to wear as they prepare <laughs> to blow up the city. They announce to the people over the airwaves the imminent end of Sovblock Block 2. Um, and the, uh, the guy Huggy Bear, who's this gangster guy that sold them the nuke previously, is feeling very guilty about this, as he should, because he sold them the nuke last episode. And in Sub Block One, the spooky gang is blasting through mutant houses in the mystery machine looking for the body of Elvis as Nutmeg tries to drown Razors. There's a lot going on at once um, as we get to the finale of this story. But then Nutmeg himself gets pulled under the water, and one of the goons grabs Shaggy and shoots him in the head. Oh no! As Razors knees Nutmeg in the balls and takes his gun. Circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> we learned fake Velma's name was Barbara and that Nutmeg can survive getting shot a, bu- a bunch of times. It's just not fair for the record. That's not cool. cool.
1: Must have something to do with his raisin-like appearance.
0: Yeah, definitely. He's all dried out, so he can definitely take some hits, it seems like. La, la. The, uh, the spooky gang finds the boiling bones of Elvis as Nutmeg finds a saw, which is a, la- a laser chainsaw, <clears throat> and comes after a fleeing Razors. But sadly for him, Razors was fleeing to an ordnance dump, comes up with a minigun. <laughs> and Nutmeg gets weird here cuz he's like you haven't got the guts to shoot me with that minigun, Razor. And it's like he's already shot you like five times. Like this seems like a weird a weird gambit. And indeed, right. it doesn't work because Razor shoots him with the minigun and cuts him in half with bullet with bullets mm-hmm. spilling his guts all over the place, but he's still alive for the record. <laughs> Back at Soft Block 2, the OAP KGB are contesting the divinity of Elvis, and they throw the chief judge off the side of the headquarters building to his doom. They're now wearing official Trotsky hat and, pre- and prepping the nuke. Um, Nutmeg is still alive as razors, appro- as razors approaches his body, pulls something out of his back pocket, and says, Now I'm going to show you why they call me Razors. And things are left blessedly ambiguous, because it seems like things are getting gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were definitely upping the uh, action and violence yeah. to uh, new heights.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, meanwhile, the OAPK, the OAPKGB guy triggers the bomb, but it's a dud. And Huggy Bear is like, "Oh, geez, this is embarrassing." You know, I never really sold any weapons that have worked in the last fifteen years. I'm just cosplaying being this Ooh. evil guy. Um, <laughs> And so he goes to run, it's time to blow this pop stand, um, and everyone else just asserts that it's a miracle from Elvis, as you do, you know, this religion yeah. stuff. Um, Soon after, Razor's returns with the saint's body, and that makes the news the big deal, while the uh, it seems like the death of the chief and possible nuclear armageddon of the city is like the secondary news story of the day, basically. We, yeah, that's how news goes. Yeah, listen. You know, you gotta. They have their own priorities, you know. Um, Razors kicks the press away as he and Judge Ed, now wearing a sweet yellow horse hat, ride off into the sunset. And you know, Razors knows how to be nice, but he prefers to be nasty. The end of Red Razors. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> love that. Really weird story overall. Like when you when I go back and try to think about how all things panned out. Uh, I enjoyed the ride, but it was like interpretive dance. Like there were these things happening that I don't really. Why did that have to happen? And yeah,
0: it feels like that. a quarter, like like maybe half of a story almost, and mm-hmm. then the rest of it is just these different ideas for this setting of mm-hmm. this in the future, even from where we are in Judge Dredd, mm-hmm. like soft block um um setting, you know.
1: Ooh, right, like but like, it definitely had a lot of a good action in it, though. The the at least these last couple chapters were action packed.
0: Definitely, I wish. Like, I don't understand what the point of the uh, of the Spooky Gang was. I guess, <laughs> right? <laughs> just references, just so that you know, we know who the Scooby Doo are because we kind of see them show up and they're fun. But like they never really meet razors and it's not clear like how we go from Freddie and from Fred and Daphne finding Elvis' body to Red turning the body in and getting credit for it I guess mm-hmm. right that's true like that feels <laughs> like something like are they st- did razors kill them are they still around did they come to an agreement I, who knows yeah. you know <laughs> so that feels like a like a, a loose thread here for sure mm-hmm. definitely um, But, like, it's so it, de- it definitely seemed like it was sort of like, all right, we're going to have this story, but I've got a world to build and some situations I think are very funny that I would like to have take place in this comic as well, you know? And right. they're definitely willing to let some of the exposition you need for this story um, fall by the wayside in the name of getting those jokes in, basically, that right. it seems like to me. Yeah, which I guess I can't argue with.
1: I feel like I'd do the same thing if I were in their place, so... Maybe. <laughs> All it's, for the jokes.
0: Yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> you know, it seems like if you, like, if you, like, listen, I, I don't want to be anti joke, Eli. You've met right. me. I'm an extremely silly person, you know? Right, right. But let the record show. Yeah, but like, this wants to have an action plot and have jokes and do a lot of world building. And right. that seems like one of those things, like, where you can only have two of them. You know, like one of those, like a fast, cheap, um, fast, cheap, good, like Mm -hmm. things where you can only have two of those or whatever.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. No, I I dig that, especially in this uh, time because it it has to be fast because it's, you know, only so many chapters um, and it's high quality art. So I don't think it's cheap. So you can't just try to put the whole kitchen sink
0: in there. You're going to have to yeah. choose your battle. Yeah, it's lost some goodness anyway, or whatever. Lost some, uh, yeah, L- lost some cheapness maybe. But yeah, so mm-hmm. let's – yeah, so I, um, I should say uh, Red Razor's will return as well, but not for a while actually, and uh, we won't be seeing it. It will return in the pages of 2000 AD in the year 1994, so a ways away now. Yeah. Sort of seeing these stories start, and then they'll sort of continue elsewhere, basically. Um, but speaking of things that are wholly related to the magazine, let's discuss <laughs> covers and editorials. Just all the non-story stuff in here. Uh, yeah. issue 14, dreads having a real bad time, naked except for his helmet and strapped to some kind of medical device, and it's covered by Simon Bisley, which also tells us about a free Dean Ornston poster inside. Um... Mm-hmm. I really like just how Bisley draws this really exaggerated – like the exaggerated musculature of Dread, and all of this like sci-fi medical equipment he's got. Like I think one of the – things he's got is just this big like gauntlet that his hands jammed into and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Although yeah, – Fairly wacky.
0: Yeah. And I could do with that the mostly naked Dread, I guess. Like I don't know. And this is real – this one especially is a situation – wear dreads wearing a helmet where normally you wouldn't be wearing a helmet, you know? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I remember seeing him in the uh, operation room in the last one where he was, uh, you know, dealing with the monster and he had his helmet, even though he's on the operation table. But yeah, I did get rid of
0: that. Definitely. I mean, maybe you could say there that they rushed him from the scene to mm-hmm. start working on him. It's like maybe mm-hmm. all of his clothes are lying around, just sort of they've been mm-hmm. cut off or something like that. But mm-hmm. it is one of these things where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. the lengths they go to keep that helmet on Dread at all times <laughs> can be <laughs> a little extreme sometimes. Because it's not yes. like Dread actually... Like needs to have the helmet on, yeah, like he doesn't have like a medical problem that needs requires him to keep the helmet on, or like a superpower, you know he's not like the Mandalorian right Ooh. where he's got to keep that helmet on. Or he'll lose his powers or something. He just he just likes to right. wear it because it protects his head. And yeah, it's got, it's got I think, heads. yeah. And he's actually like um, my understanding is that from like Prog's uh, Prog issue six of two thousand AD, it is, he's also like terribly scarred, mm. like to the point where if you saw his face without the helmet, you would be grossed out. And so he wears to protect mm-hmm. people from that as well. I suppose
1: Darth Vader levels going on there. I feel that
0: basically. Um, but I mean, even Darth Vader also wore it because it was his life support system, which Dread, is not Dread, for Dread. Um, Dread. 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 On the inside cover, there's an ad for to win a Terminator 2 pinball machine, which is pretty cool. Um, editorial says there's no letters the next two issues, which is fine, I guess. Um, and then it teases the mid and face McNulty story and the upcoming 1992 Dread Yearbook, which we covered last episode. I did that with a guest. The credits on the bottom S- ask, is Dread dead? Nah, buddy, come on, relax. Um, <laughs> mid-issue, there's an ad for the Sega Game Gear, the handheld Sega system, which is features Dread with art by Dermot Power, where Dread travels back in time and is complimentary of the technology of the day. Um, <laughs> later, there's an ad for what seems like a 900 number. It's not actually a 900 number, but like a, a number you pay when you call and it's just to enter various, like, sweepstakes, I guess. And then there's an ad for the newly published America Collection, which they really just turned around real fast, I think. That sort of went right from being done in the magazine to on shelves almost right away. Mm. Later, there's a big ad for Akira, the, uh, the anime uh, movie, which is really, you know, we're seeing the dawn of the popularity of anime with this. Oh, yeah. And then there's
1: super excited to see that.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Just like, you know, oh, like we're getting some mainstream stuff from this anime or whatever, getting that Akira, man, it's cool. (laughs) Tetsuo. There's an ad for a re but to go the opposite direction, there's also an ad for a rebooted Thunderhawks comic, which was this TV show from like the sixties that was like used marionettes to do like sci-fi things or something.
1: Yeah, I, I totally missed that one. That one it went over my head.
0: That one is – I mean, it's before my time and definitely before yours. Although there was a reboot when I was young. Mm-hmm. I think they tried to do it. But it's so—it's weird to see a TV show – like, do you remember that uh, uh, uh Team America World Police, the, South, the movie by, by, by the South Park guys? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, like, they did a movie that was also sort of, like, where all the characters were these, like, marionette puppets and stuff. And that's very much <laughs> what uh, Thunderbirds was. That's cool. That's yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> the issue also has ads for um, – or ha- has an ad where where kids can win a sweet hover scooter if you turn your parents in for crimes. And then it ends <laughs> with ads for the uh, first Sandman <laughs> graphic novels and a big one – and a big back cover ad for the, for the VHS version of the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 on VHS. Um, the poster's pretty good. It's um I I I believe I believe I I linked it to you after a friend of the show Wooly Russell helped me um help me find it um and it's basically just another um one of the it's it's another one of these standard dread pictures which is where it's a giant dread sort of str- um, walking among the um w- walking among the his uh, the the city that he rules you know
1: right. Okay. Yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah, that kind of standard stuff. Issue 15, Baby Boom. Al is naked, but for hat and gun in this iconic cover by Carlos Ascara. Eli, I'm not sure if you know this, but this cover is a reference to a very famous cover of the magazine Vanity Fair. um, That was very popular. That that came out in August of 1991, um, Hmm. where the actress uh, uh, Demi Moore appeared when she was pregnant and basically in the exact and like she had the exact same pose that Al has on this cover. She didn't have the gun, but you know, she was like doing a doing a hand bra. But otherwise the two of them were standing in the exactly same way. So this is like a a reference to that, which is pretty funny and very current actually, to have this That's come out idea. in like November nineteen ninety one for an August nineteen ninety one uh uh cover.
1: You know it actually looked very familiar when
0: I saw it. It's Uh, a pretty iconic uh, cover, I think, actually, like, like magazine cover. You Mm. can find it right away. Like, if, if you look up, like, uh, uh, Demi Moore and Vanity Fair, it'll come up right away. It's very, um, yeah. I remember, I, I remember vividly from my youth because it was pretty interesting. Like people made a a very big deal about it. Just that, you know, Mm. it's sort of the start of this move to sort of accept women when, you know, of different body Mm. types and when they're pregnant and other things like that, Mm. but sort of hiding that, I guess. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the inside cover is another Dermot-powered Dread ad, this time for the Sega Master System. Dread's just time-traveling and checking out Sega technology all over the time stream. Right. <laughs> The editorial is using um, – and then uh, the editorial page is using this uh, bright yellow background with a blue dread drawn on it. That makes it actually very hard to read because anytime the words are over the dark blue part, they blend in completely and it's really hard to like pick out the letters. Um, Right. But um, it announces the end of both Al's Baby and Red Razors plus the start of Mitten Face and, and at last the release of Judgment on Gotham, which they've been talking about for months now. The credit section says, is Vanity fair? Which, and, uh, the, and the, uh, actually the cover credit says also that this Al's Baby cover is after the Vanity Fair cover. They're sort of worried about lawsuits here, I'm guessing. The issue ends with ads for judgment on Gotham and the VHS of the movie Leviathan. And like Nightmare on Elm Street, the art here is really cool. It's like this full page poster. So all these posters, um, Like the title is like Fear and Loathing in Something, Fear and Loathing on Elm Street, Fear and Loathing uh, Deep Down, which made me at first think they might have actually been by like the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas artist Ralph Steadman, but they're actually by uh, Gerald Scarfe, who is a pretty famous British um, artist. He did art for um, the Pink Floyd album uh, The Wall and the film adaption as well and he um also was the uh character was the production designer who basically designed all the characters for the um disney hercules uh uh ca- cartoon movie that's awesome i love hercules yeah it's cool and so it's 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 it is kind of funny like when i fe- when i when I, I was talking to some folks online about who did this art. It was funny because everybody like like one person was like it was definitely him, and everybody else was very incredulous. Like whoa, like him? He's a pretty big name to be doing like pro, like pr- production posters for um like a stand like just sort of uh, a, a a a video release company, you know, <laughs> like in England or something. But like I guess that's him. It's very cool. Um, anyway. This um, issue also came with a poster. Um, it was, but it was basically just a bigger version of the cover of the previous issue of Simon Bisley drawing Dread in the big medical facility and stuff like that. So, you know, fine. But like, you know, I don't know. I don't like when it's just a repurposed cover. When it's, the cover's brand new, I kind of want new, new artwork. Eli, that's that. That's my goal. <laughs> right. I feel that. Yeah. But hey, on the, on the topic of Simon Bisley and things getting crazy, let's continue on to Story 4, Heavy Metal Dread. Uh, script robot John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot Simon Bisley, Letter robot Tom Frame. So these Heavy Metal Dread, Elias, I think we might have mentioned them previously, were originally published in a magazine called Rock Power, or Rock Power Magazine, in an attempt to be very cool. <laughs> So, this first one, um, this first one starts with verse like, woke up this morning feeling 30 kinds of mean, helmet on my head and no belly full of spleen. Um, I'm not sure if all of these ones will be songs, but this one definitely is with busily drawing dread as cool as possible, doling out violence to the set to the citizens of Mega City One, also a bunch of busty babes in thongs but so we'd see dread running around beating people up arresting people eventually like the song continues and even gets like some dancers and a chorus singing along with them and he arrests them too for not having a license to do this public performance pretty excellent mm-hmm. and we'll be seeing more heavy metal dread as the as the months go on it's sort of an occasional feature here of just like i think both bisley and the artist john hinklinton will come in and they'll just draw dread in real extreme ways being really violent that's sort of what we're what we're looking forward to with these heavy metal dreads yeah
1: yeah that's what definitely what they're putting
0: down they're they're succeeding yeah no i mean you know they're they're setting out the way they mean to go on is the basic point <laughs> so let's continue. So let's let's continue on ourself with story five, Armitage. <laughs> uh, script wrote about David Stone. Art script wrote about Dave Stone. Art about Sean Phillips. Lettering about Steve Potter. So last time we saw Judge Hand revealed as this killer behind this whole mystery that Britsit Judge Armitage has been investigating. Um, as he attacked armitage himself and his rookie treasure Steele with a huge robot arm he manages to weighing steel on the knee with that arm and get his jaw broke by a backhand from armitage hand then runs and armitage gives chase Ch- steel is unable to to go after him because of the injury to her leg Um, Armitage uh, follows Hand up a ladder to the roof of the new old Bailey. Here Hand is looking down through a hole in the floor down in the whole cityscape talking about everybody plotting against him. He's just gone super crazy basically. They want to throw me out on the street. Armitage in hand, a tussle, and Armitage drops out the bottom of the uh, of the hole here, which appears to actually be part of Lady Justice's hand, which leads to him falling and just managing to grab himself on the uh, side of the of Lady Justice's scales, which brings us back to the start of this story. Hooray! Yeah, grip strength. You gotta. You never know when that's gonna save yeah, your life. Yeah, gotta do that hand practice. Um. Jesus. Hand is ranting strange words as Armitage thinks back on the case and remembers a point where he took a weird pen from Treasure early in the case and maybe thinks that'll work. And it does, in fact, because it's a laser that blows a hole through the top of Hand's head and we just see like a big sh- sh- light shining right through his skull. It's pretty yeah. excellent. Blam, right? It's <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. The uh, judges Um, or sorry, yeah, the judge falls to his death and the day is saved, I guess. Later, it all seems to end well. Or just is a hero. He yells at the press the same way that um, Razors does in his story, actually, which is kind of like, feels like a very 90s reaction to the press, all the paparazzis and stuff, I guess. Um, and then he gets another one of these Jack the Ripper-esque letters that he started the series with. This one is Wrapped in a Human Heart, and it says liars will be pum- punished for being wicked, and there's a big death coming—death on all of you soon. The end of Armitage.
1: Uh, I didn't think they needed to do the laser through the head and then the fall for the bad guy. Definitely <laughs> overkill.
0: <laughs>
1: like, uh, and they even did like a little splat. Like, it's uh, <laughs> like, no, yeah, he's gone. I don't, I don't know if anyone needed that last splat to
0: really. Sleep at night, <laughs> but you know, yeah, yeah you got to put, you know, belts and braces. That's how we do it in Brit shit, I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah, definitely. So that's the end of this story. Oh man, but they've set up a cliffhanger here, and indeed Armitage will return in the fall of nineteen ninety-two. So not, you know, next next year in our in our timeline, basically. Yeah. Oh, there's more stuff. I like this one. I like, um, You know, we don't get a ton of mysteries in these comics, and this one feels like one. We talked about this last time, but it feels like, even if I don't fully understand what Judge Hand is, I f- what was going on with that guy, I feel like we were getting clues, and you and me were sort of picking them up and putting them together as they went. And it felt good to sort of f- solve the mystery as it was being solved by the characters, basically. Mm. Right. Yeah, definitely good pacing. And I still love the art, so... Definitely yeah again, just the uh, i i I can't say enough these big double page spreads that Phillips is doing um just generally really stand out from the rest of the comic and make this story feel very big and epic, I think in a way that yeah. that you don't expect,
1: yeah, and I really also like the use of color because i said i'm I'm always plotting on how I can start doing some of this in my own work, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I could pull that off in black and white the way that. The way it's done here, the colors really do a lot and say a lot, and like add a lot of depth to the composition. So.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Just the use of of different colors in this one. I feel like there's a lot of blues and like greens in this, as opposed mm-hmm. as well as um just like almost like golds or. So, but some of that's sort of the paper as well, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think right. it's really interesting. Just you've got this character of Armitage in his black suit, and then like maybe Treasure in her like blue jacket and stuff. is kind mm-hmm. of an interesting, interesting contrast. Yeah. Cool. All right. But uh, speaking of stories that are perhaps less complex, but also somehow far more complex, there's a lot going on. (laughs) Let's go to Story 6, Straight Jacket Fits. Uh, Script Robot Dave Bishop, Art Robot Roger Langridge, Letter Robot Roger Langridge. Uh Drongo Stabbins, Mega City One psychiatrist working in a Britsit asylum, has lost a patient. Uh Jack Nicholson it would seem, who escaped from the comic. Things are getting very, very meta as they approach a hole in the fabled fourth wall. It's got a bunch of graffiti, including uh, Grant Morrison was here, which is pretty funny because Grant Morrison's a comic author who works in – a comic writer who works for 2000 AD as well as in American stuff and does a lot of this fourth wall bending like meta comics, meta story type stuff. Right. Like, Grant Morrison is not a, like, will periodically have both characters talk directly to the writer, to the uh, to the reader of the comic, and sometimes even, like, the reader, like, sort of just appear in the comic themselves or something like that. It's weird. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, but so they go through and Drongo now in an Explorer costume. He puts his head through the hole in the fourth wall to find a strange kaleidoscopic world with only the white box saying to come back next month there for company. Uh, Things are getting weird on the other side, but they must capture Jack. The plot, quote unquote, the story demands it. And because they've moved beyond the fourth wall in the lands of comic borders, Eli, you'll notice that um, now every page is a full page. There's no Mm. more uh, 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 panel dividers in here. Mm. So Jack is right there. So the team gives chase. Um, Drongo's yelling that uh, the comic you know come back we've gone from just being a simple comedy strip to a parody of the surrealist trend in modern comics it'll be great and Jack just says that's pretentious um, <laughs> he runs into a building called the palindrome and everyone goes into where everything is reversed although it's weird because it's like the all the words are written backwards but still in the same order so you can't put this comic in a mirror and it'll make perfect sense. Like right. it'll it'll still be kind of gibberishy right. if you do that. Um Also, a weird baby character that's been narrating recently does point out that backwards is not... Like, a palindrome doesn't mean things are backwards. This is dumb. Um, And that (laughs) seems to cause the dome to shatter as Jack takes ownership of this land and calls in his goons the Brotherhood of Dada. Um, One of them is called Split Ends, and his dangerous hairstyle is reminding me of the character Huligan from 2000 AD. Anyway... It seems like it's just him and Drongo here sh- uh, showing down as Drongo wonders where, wh- how the others are getting on. And next time a straight jacket Fits, we'll learn how the others are getting on.
1: Oh, ah, perfect.
0: Yeah, good times. <laughs> this is okay. Like, I, I like that they're lampshading a lot of this like, like meta stuff. They're being like, oh, yes, like look at this meta joke in this meta comic yeah. and stuff. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's,
1: some, that's some of the best stuff so far. I think it's because now the audience is involved rather than like, you know, one-liners about like being tall or like.
0: Yeah, I li- I definitely like this more than the one-liner section, although <laughs> yeah. it's okay, I don't know. Um Right. Right. A lot of ground to make up for. Yeah, I'm glad this one doesn't go on too long in each issue is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Um, <laughs> and that takes us to Story 7, Mid-In-Face McNulty. Script robot Alan Grant and Tony Luke, art robot John McCrae, Color robot Grimsby, lettering robot John McRae. Again, another two-paycheck job here. Um, <laughs> so, okay, Eli, a lot of backstory here, and I'm sorry I didn't. I didn't prep you for it. But basically... Middenface McNulty is is a supporting character in the 2000 AD story, Strontium Dog. Um, he's a mutant bounty hunter. He's Scottish. He's got, he's a, because he's a mutant, he's got these weird lumps on his head. Um, he likes to drink. He's very good at violence when he wants to be. <laughs> these are sort of the high points of Middenface McNulty. He was a really good friend with the main character of Strontium Dog, um, Johnny Alpha, Mm. though Johnny Alpha himself has recently died in the comics uh, continuity you know comic book death one of those things Um, Mm. this story takes place in 2176 which I think is a little in the past of the Strontium Dog storyline which I think is in 2180 but it's still like 60 years in the future from the current Dread timeline, so still very much in the future from yeah. where our standards from wh- wh- where standard st- uh, dr- Dread stuff is. Hmm. Um, we're, at, we're in Glasgow and at the uh, scabby haggis mutant bar and inside there's sounds of a struggle as Middenface, the man himself, is clubbed upside the head and kicked outside the bar. That's how you do. And I should mention that this story is called uh, One Man and His Dog." One Man and His Dog in in, uh, in Scottish. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely picking up an accent. Yeah, yeah, I know. He d- definitely talks in this uh, phonetic Scottish brogue here. Um, m- anyway, midden phase, he's super drunk. He's been tossed out of this bar once more um he sort of wanders the street pissing on a wall and singing to himself until he gets beaten up by a bunch of no good kids they take his stuff and leave him lying all but naked on the ground they even took the little pink birthday present he got for his granny oh yeah you no good kids Later, as the sun rises over Scotland, he arrives at his granny's farm. He's trying to think of a good way to lie to her about what happened to the gift. But, you know, he knocks on the door and decides, oh, my my grandma loves me. It'll be fine if I don't have a gift. (laughs) But when he does, she greets him and she hits him on the head with a ladle twice. And then refers to a previous Strontium Dog story where, um, this is a lot, but basically... Middenface had to take care of his grandma's dog, uh, Dougal, and then that dog got killed by a bad guy, basically in the course of a mission. Oh. He was a weird, scary dog, and now we and then he died, which is tough. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they sent his ashes back home to his grandma, and now she's confronting about his bad dog sitting. That's just being a bad dog mm-hmm. sitter, you know. Well, dog dies, we're taking care of her. Yeah, come on, don't let him die. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's where it is. Uh Bidden Face then starts waxing on about Dougal the dog, and he was a great guy, a great little man's best friend, etc. But as he does, he almost sits down on Granny's new dog, Bob. Oh, he's from the same litter. And also this just sort of like black, we'll bite your face off kind of dog, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a Bob spelled a B-O-A-B, which is how the uh, Scots pronounce Bob, basically. Bob. <laughs> um, all seems well until Middenface tries to lie about not having a birthday present for her and gets another ladle to the head and he decides to do something about it. Um, <laughs> later those jerks that rob Minface are chilling at a very fancy bar spending money gained from fencing all of his gear minus this one time gadget when Minface himself shows up and starts kicking their ass soon he's taking them all out orders a whiskey He's like, last time I had a wee swally, but now I'm at 100%. <laughs> and he's got Bob to help him. And Bob, because he's a Scottish dog, is growling with a Mac snarl, etc. <laughs> <laughs> he takes them out, orders a whiskey from the bar, and meanwhile, we see back in the year twenty one twelve. In the shadow of the Hugo Tate block, which was a comic by uh, uh, comic writer Nick Nick Abadzis, a bunch of Scottish mutants warp into reality. They aren't sure where they are yet, but grab a hostage to find out. <laughs> Next time, back to the future. <laughs> I love the the verbal jokes that's, that's very fun. There's so much it's hard to sort of it's hard to sort of act out without just doing a real crazy accent Why? in these recaps, Eli. But yeah, like there are Scottish accents and jokes about that and just little like wordplay and stuff that makes this a very fun, a very fun story to read. And one that mm-hmm. I know um Alan Grant, who loves this kind of thing, definitely had a lot of fun writing, I think. He likes draw like he created this mid-phase character, and I believe he is Scottish and so sort of gets a a lot of fun out of just having different Scottish stereotypes and jokes and the use of this character that is fun <laughs> but yes it looks like mid Face might be headed back to Judge Dread times we'll see how it goes oh man I'm pretty excited about that I gotta say but speaking of things I'm excited about Eli I'm excited to know what your top and bottom stories were for oh. this uh the magazine issues 14 and 15 what do you got what do you like what do you Let's don't see. like
1: we'll put straight jacket on the bottom because that's just that's easy again oh yeah I will give them, you know, more credit. They, I, I did like this one the most out of all of them, but it still is uh, on the bottom. Yeah, um, I was actually expecting me not to like a, 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 a mid face as much, but <laughs> I really d- dig the puns. Definitely, um, that's fair. Trouble I'm having for the top, as always. Uh, Al's baby, really nice ending. Um, uh, I really liked. Um, Oh, man, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, the detective one, uh, Ar- Armitage. Yeah, Armitage. Uh, but also, um, uh, no, I think that's. I think I think it's between those two. Um, but they they both ended and they both did a really good job. Um, I have to go with um, Ooh. Al's Baby. Nice. Just, that's some nice heartwarming ending. They ended it very well. Awesome. Whereas, armitage is like oh maybe something another mystery who knows but al's baby was like hey we could just stop here and then we could just be done and it gave a satisfying conclusion to it so i really like that
0: nice yeah i think i might actually agree with you on both counts now that i'm thinking about it um i i yeah straight jacket fits really not that great happy to um (laughs) to toss it on the bottom um and I really, liked, I really liked this Al's baby story. I loved the end. You know, it brought, it brought a smile to my face and a tear to my eye, this happy family stuff at the end of the story, which is lame on my part, I'll certainly admit, but I just thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and that's really what I'm looking for in here. You know, Like I said, I, I really love just the combo of uh, violence and humor and just these great character designs that Ascara has for all these different folks and stuff.
1: I do, a, I do want to give I do want to give a shout out notable mention to um Raptar. Um I did like um dread stabbing his own hand to stay up. That was a very
0: metal thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty baller move for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but
1: that one moment wasn't enough to beat the, you know, the whole journey we've been taking with Al's baby. So.
0: Yeah. No, I think that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. All right. Totally. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at bigmeg1.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. For all of those, you're going to want to look for Big Meg One. That's spelled out O-N-E, and you'll find us there. Uh, This show is brought to you by Steve Greens and Kip Miller and your friend at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and Conrad. And then come back next time as we've just finished the second calendar year of the Judge Dredd magazine, and that means it's time for a year-in-review show, the second installment of The Maggies put on your tuxedo and we'll see you there and I'd love to hear your nominations for top stories of 1991 here in the magazine as always we're looking for best writer, best artist, best overall story, MVP of 1991 and uh, you know maybe we can compare these and see which was your favorite year of the magazine between 1990 and 1991, interesting comparison I think Um, but until then Folks, I'm I'm Conrad. very Eli, and we are Big Mac One. Drop it.